Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Miller's Game Room podcast. I'm Miller and, uh, well, usual intro goes here. If you want to support the show, like, comment, subscribe, notification bell, etc. First off, uh, I've had an issue with uh, recording because I've been getting B-sods today when I was recording the podcast. So I've had to basically re-record the first five minutes of it because it just cut off and I can't put it into the editor. So, um... If you hear any squeaks, that's why, because I'm on the squeaky chair. And um, other thing is um, I've had to do a bit of different formatting today because I recorded most of this before the uh, Dessert to Otomate news came out. And uh, that's going to be in a big section towards the end because, yeah, 10 minutes of this video is for um, Cupid, uh, Parasite, Sweet and Spicy Darling and other announcements from that. So I'm looking forward to that section. So, um, just a heads up. So, it's going to be quite a long episode today. Um, so, I'm going to get straight into the updates and then the little news I need to cover. So, the first channel update section is uh, last week my Cozy Game video went out with my uh, Cozy Game recommendations. And it's done very well. It's been the best uh, performing video in the channel for quite some time. Thank you everyone who watched it and showed up for it. It's been our best performing video as I said, I said, but also just behind my Celeste retrospective, which, um, no, that one's just behind the Cozy retrospective, and that also did well. So thank you, everyone, for your support. Uh, next video um, will likely release on Valentine's Day, because that's in the schedule. Um, will be romance-oriented, because it is the season for love. Uh, anyway, I'm also going to be doing my P4G retrospective, I've taken a little break from that, and I'm going to talk a bit about that a bit more in the what I've been playing, so get ready for that, but that's going to come at some point too. So yeah, I'm going to start with the news, or the one bit of news in this mini section of recording before I move on to the rest of things I recorded earlier, and that piece is uh, Yggdra Union will never fight alone. By the time this episode goes up, it will now be available on PC in early access, um, if it's been playable from start to finish, including side content. So it's basically like the full version of the game, but just labelled as early access for PR, basically, so they can fix bugs and improvements based on player feedback, which is good. Um, I like this. It's really good news. Um, it's good to see the Department Heaven series make some kind of return, and it bodes well for future titles from Sting to get ported to PC and be released worldwide by Sting. And also for potential localizations of the Switch versions, or even the phone ports of some of the other games they've done. So alongside Yggdra Union, there's also ports of Knights in the Nightmare, um, Blaze Union and Glory Union, which were never localized before, and, you know, the other stuff. Um, I'm hopeful to see it, and given that they're also bringing Dock Upon Kingdom back with help of Idea Factory, hopefully we can get physical releases, especially in the West. Because, well, ID Factory are very pro-physical for all their faults. Anyway, on to the next stuff, an awkward cut. NIS America also had a 35th anniversary stream to celebrate Nipponichi Software turning 35 years old. Because, yep, they're an old company, established in 1993. So even older than a lot of people listening to this. Uh, as they had two announcements, the first one was one that basically anyone could guess... And that was the official Western reveal for Disguise 7, so it's getting localised under the subtitle Vows of the Virtuous for PS4, 5, Switch and PC for the autumn. Um, it was partly confirmed because one, well, 
it would have always come west because these games sell better in the west and two sega revealed themselves as localizing it for southeast asia and the chinese logo for it is basically disgaea 7 in english and then chinese subtitle so uh yeah they wouldn't really make a an english logo for southeast asia if they weren't going to bring it to the west so that is interesting um the other announcement though that definitely interests me a lot more and that's the rhapsody mile kingdom chronicles um this is going to have rhapsody 2 and rhapsody 3 these games are originally playstation 1 titles that never came to the west uh they're going to be coming west for well interestingly ps5 switch and pc the ps5 and switch versions are bundled together into one release the pc versions are separate you have to buy them separately but i'm guessing they'll be cheaper to match which is fine but interestingly there's no ps4 version and it's like yeah, if you can get these games running on a Switch, you can get them running on a PS4. Especially because they're PlayStation 1 games. You sh- they shouldn't take too much to port. But And again, even things that seem like slam dunks often aren't. Or depending on what happens, if the publisher doesn't give them the time and resources they deserve, they're also treated badly. Case in point, GTA the, Tril- the Trilogy. Which is not worth it. Unless you get in the old consoles. So, you know... But yeah, um, there should be a PS4 version. There's no excuse for there not to be a PS4 version. I'm guessing NIS are wanting to try to shift sales to PS5 because they think that people have moved on to the PS5. And yeah, some people have, but a lot of people are still buying PS4 games. I mean, I still have my belief that the, the current gen of consoles, the PS5 and the series, launched far too early. But that's uh, for another video or podcast or whatever. But, you know, it, there should be PS4, there's no excuse, especially because basically everything else in their lineup is coming to PS4. So, but yeah, I'm still interested in it. I still need to play the first Rhapsody. From what I hear, it's a very short game and also very cute and easy, which sounds like something that's quite nice and to get into. And it's available on Switch and PC now as its modern incarnation as part of NIS Classics, although there were other ports of it released in the past. Especially, well, the original PS1 version and the DS port, which apparently's got some broken stuff in it, which I don't know much about, but it's a thing. As for news, um, I talked about this one because I don't really touch phone games, but I know a lot of people I talk to online do play it. And I think it's interesting how they're handling this one. And that's Love Live School Idol Festival 2 Miracle Live is coming to phones this spring uh, in Japan. It's well, it's been published by Bushy Road and K-Lab Games, which is the usual developer. Um, the pre-registration is now available for the Japanese version in their stores and the Twitter account. Um, so this is interesting because this sequel is basically going to replace the currently up first game, which has been around for a very long time. Um, so it's basically like an update stroke sequel, but you can actually get your data transferred to the sequel from the first game, which is like... Yeah, if you're going to do a phone game with cl- with closing stuff down, that's kind of how you should do it if you're not going to do an offline version, which um, I will be touching on phone games later on in this video, so I don't want to go too much into this now. But it's, it's good that it's going to have a sequel, but one thing I will say is because of EU laws and GDPR, if you're in the European Union, you won't be able to get this data transfer, which I know some people are like, Oh, that's a bad thing, but like, where's it? It's like EU enforcing GDPR, which, once again, the EU is the regulatory leader. I talked about it in my last episode. 
when they did the European Parliament report thing, which um, if you want to hear about that, go listen to the last video. But yeah, it is an unfortunate side effect, but it's better to have a situation like this, which is quite minor, than, well, the other stuff these companies do. Even not so much K-Lab. Um, but yeah, it's um, interesting to see this. So maybe it will take off. I'm not going to play it. I want to see a Switch version come with the microtransactions and it all taken out. They did it for, um, well, Bushiro did it for Bangdori. And for some reason that never came west. So, well, I can see it, it can happen here too. And I know technically they tried already with a, a console version with Square Enix as a publisher, which is really weird for them, which um, they don't really touch niche anime stuff, like, especially outside of Japan. Like, they did really an Arthur as a franchise, but aside from the fighting game, none of the games in the series came west at all. And finally, is a um, for this shorter section, there's news on... Vanillaware's uh, latest title, which was teased in 2019, is now at the end of development. Um, this was a medieval fantasy teaser trailer that was included as a bonus in the prologue release of 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. It was basically a paid demo that was only released in Japan, most likely to partially recoup development costs. And Kamatami said in the interview with uh, Nintenderos, never heard of them, in March 2019, for reasons I won't get into, we released only the prologue of 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, but it did include a video of our next title in it, and now it's fully finished. While I'm not the director of that title, it's one of Villanueva's biggest productions, so please look forward to it. And he said, lastly, the title I'm working on right now won't be finished for several years, but once that big title is finished, I should get some development staff, so the development on my project will finally move in full swing, which is really cool to see. This was an interview about Grim Grim Water Lance once more, which is coming out next month in the West via NYSA, which I'm looking forward to. Um, regarding this new title, they haven't announced platforms or a release window, which is fine. And the only confirmed detail is that it will be published by Atlas, which um, if you're going to include a teaser for another title in a game published by Atlas, it's probably going to be a title by Atlas. So uh, I'm kind of hoping this title comes out this year, especially if it's in the end of development. They might just sit on it for a bit, maybe wait till after months more is out in the west before they release it which i hope happens and wherever this game is also comes to switch and i think i forgot to put in the script actually while well, i remember i don't think i mentioned this in my last episode but there's but kamitami said and i think it was this interview as well but they had questions about porting muramasa the demon blade to other platforms which for those that know it's on the wii and the ps vita i've talked about it before on my channel i believe um, they said there's uh, multiple reasons why they can't port it or something along those lines where he basically is like, yes, we've, we we want to do it, but there's reasons why and I can't discuss what those reasons are. And we don't know for sure what they are, but if I was to speculate, um, it's probably marvellous because they're the IP holder. They either don't want to or don't have the resources or whatever. And it's a shame because I think it needs support. It is legitimately one of the best like games on the Vita, one of the best on the Wii. I really enjoyed the game. It was my first and only vanilla game I've still like 100% finished. But I think that there is a home for it. I wanted to at least see it come to PC because once it's on PC, it's basically on a most accessible platform for games. And especially if you try to get a Vita version now, it's like 80 quid. It's like, that's far too much for a game. It is a good game, but it's not worth 80 quid. I'll say that. But it's just not as bad as Hexy's Force. So, you know. That's a positive too. And now on to the bigger news, uh, mainly the slightly more Western stuff. 
And the first thing is about E3. Uh, basically, rumours are going round that Nintendo and PlayStation will not have a presence at the revamped E3 show, which is now being managed by a new licensor known as Pop, who took it over for the first physical in-person event in four years. Remember, they act as if the pandemic is over, but it very much is still ongoing. And now there's new variants and other scary stuff, so you know, that's uh, not going to go well in that regard either. And then um, that's what IGN said, and the VGC said there, according to their sources with who know Nintendo's plans, the company has decided to skip E3 2023 because it feels it has fewer releases than usual ready to show which would justify all the space. And they also claim that uh, Microsoft had discussions and they might have a business and media presence, although IGN say that they'll have a showcase in LA and have some form presence for that, but not for the free convention centre itself. So uh, some conflicting information there, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter on the specifics. Point is, it's just proving E3's decline and, um, well, rip E3, I suppose. I can't see it making much of a comeback, especially now when it's like, Eh, why do you need to spend thousands of pounds coming to LA for a conference when we can just have our own and get millions of views and fully control what we put out and not have to deal with all that stuff? And, you know, I um, even before considering the COVID stuff, like I mentioned earlier, I think it will be a very much an uphill battle for E3 and I don't think they're going to win it, unfortunately. But, you know, remnant of the past, Nintendo headed the curve and Sony and Microsoft copy it and so do all these other companies. So, you know, that's that. And the other thing is that uh, if it's rumour about Nintendo having a lighter like release schedule for the second half of the year, so as in the whole fewer releases than usual ready to show, that could mean that there is a Switch successor coming next year. And obviously if they're doing that, they'll have to hold back hardware and software for it so it actually sells. Because what sells a console isn't it's for hardware, it's for software. And you know, we saw that with the Wii U. Your software was great but it just wasn't ultimately compelling enough. And the hardware had flaws as well. And you know, the Vita as well, didn't have many exclusives. Uh, hardware was great, but the software, like, unless you were into niche games, it just wasn't there, if that makes sense. So, you know, that's a thing. And now on to the main topic, uh, live service games. In other words, quite a few have been announced to have been closing down the last couple of weeks, which... Uh, basically since the episode went up and my last episode and this episode quite a few are closing and i'm just going to go through the list because gamatsu made a viral tweet about it so we have apex legends mobile battlefield mobile crime site crossfire x dragon quest the adventure of die a hero's bonds in fact now I think about it i think i talked for that one in the last episode actually echo vr Knockout City, Love Live School Idol Festival, though I talked about this one earlier and that is getting replaced with a sequel, so that one's not as bad. Rumbleverse. And also, that Space Gear, there's more of I've not mentioned, but you know, point is, it's showing the trend of these games as a service bubble is just bursting and it's just not increasingly being proven, like a lot of people were warning, that this bubble is bursting and it's just not viable anymore, because... Well, this trend was always bad because of microtransactions and how predatory they are, especially towards neurodivergent people, and the lack of care towards game preservation in general, because once that game is gone, you ain't getting it back, 
But at this point, it's just showing that the market is just very oversaturated. Because even if you're a huge fan of Gacha, um, for even you love them, you just can't keep up with all these games. There's just way too many of them. And people only have so long in the day to spend, especially in a late-stage capitalist hellscape, that they just don't have the time to spend on all these games. And if publisher puts this game out, they're expecting the same size audience for every game, and that's just not viable. And then... I think as well, because of this, people have over time been conditioned to expect these games to shut down. So then it risks creating a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or not quite a self-fulfilling prophecy, because it's not set on the self. But like, oh, people going, oh, there's no point investing in this game. Because after a couple of years, it will shut down. Which, in the majority of cases, has been what's happened. There's been very few exceptions, and a lot of them are like... A lot of the games that started in, at the beginning, like, well... Counter-Strike 2, uh, World of Warcraft, even uh, Genshin Impact is one of the more recent exceptions. But generally, unless you've already like got a foothold there and actually have compelling gameplay that keeps people going and isn't rooted in exploitation, then you're not going to keep people going. And it's a shame because some of these games that are single player, like some of them have great ideas or lore that add to the series. Like you've got Tales games, like full Tales games that were mobile games that are now shutting down or will shut down like Tales of the Rays, Tales of Crystoria and then you've got just other things and it's just so much and then you've got rhythm games which quite a few of them like well Banduri for example that you can only play that on phones in English there is a fan patch in Japan well not a fan patch there's a switch version in Japan but that needs a fan patch or an official localization and it's just like and then you've got all these phone games. Aichu got a Switch port in Japan. And for me, like, if you're going to make games and shut them down, then you should make a, an offline version, at least for phones, but ideally for consoles or PC, because then you can preserve it more. And, like, have it so you don't need to have the services up or anything like that. Just have an offline single-player experience. But that means people can experience a call of the game and... That will involve some redesigning, but to be totally frank, a lot of these games are designed around predatory exploitative practices. So getting rid of that will actually be better for the game. And like that's why I checked out Banduri. It's why I checked out Cytus Alpha. Not Cytus Alpha. No, uh, Voez, that was it. Voez from Riot Games, who also made Demo and Cytus Alpha. They are Taiwanese rhythm games that got ported to the Switch. Because, well... Part of the reason why I tend to wait for console ports as well, because console ports of phone games usually end up a result of an established fan base. So if you pick up a game, you're more likely to actually have a product worth playing. And in the case of Voez, which I played a long time ago, that was a solid phone game that came to switch of button controls. It's much better than a lot of this stuff. And then Banduri more recently, that was fun. The language Baron Men, I couldn't quite understand it. But that's fine because it was still fun and that's why microtransactions. And it's like, if you're going to do it, make this stuff. And it's just like, publishers only give a shit when things like this happen because it affects the bottom line. And we're going to, I think we're going to eventually start seeing a lot of these publishers like, who push this games as a service model are now realising, oh shit, this is actually not good because people aren't supporting them anymore as much aside from existing titles so it's like okay we need to actually sort this shit out and actually make more single player stuff and, or if they're going to actually do more games as a service 
not only reduce the quantity of them, but actually make a quality game that doesn't hinder on exploitation, a game you can actually progress without stuff like that, and just doesn't, it's just overall be a more friendly product to play, and an actual experience, and it's just like, this is the only way they're going to learn. And it's a good thing that all these games are shutting down, as awful as it is, for preservation and things like that. It's for the best. Make better shit. Simple as that. And now onto the visual novel section. Uh, just a heads up, this is a section where there's going to be the Dessert to Otomate news I mentioned in the intro. And at the time of recording this section, then English summary hasn't been put up yet. Uh, by Gematsu or a similar source so what I will do is I'll record everything else and then I'll slot it in so if it sounds kind of weird and abrupt in advance uh, I apologize I'll probably stick it in either probably at the end actually or in the middle somewhere either way before or after just after the two big news this month and I'm going to start with Aquaplus because uh, we all know from the game room that I'm a huge fan of the company and I've been wanting them to do this for some time and so one thing they said is in Famitsu, uh, I think it was published by Games Talk, and then it was boosted to me via an English like account that talks about VN news. And they said that, um, or Naomi Shimokawa and uh, Mizutaki Mikamo, who's, uh, well, Naomi is basically a major head at Aquaplus, who's basically been there since the beginning, and Mizutaki basically has come on from Crest, I believe, their new parent company. And they basically said that, oh, we're thinking about rebooting Two Heart, White Album, and Comic Party. And uh, putting aside the fangirl about White Album, these are uh, legacy Aquaplus IPs rooted in romance and uh, pure VN, so not RPG hybrids like Utawa Mono. So they're classic stuff, help build them up. And um, obviously, that like in the recent years, they've been neglected quite badly because aside from White Album 2 milking, they've not really been doing anything else that isn't a gameplay RPG VN hybrid. And uh, just a bit of context here before I move to the quotes, because I'm going to be reading a Google Translated quote. Um, in December, obviously, Crest acquired them, and um, they've kind of renamed the company Hike, if that makes sense, through the merger of uh, Crest, Cubist, and uh, Sanetti Produce. That's probably a mistake somewhere. And Aquaplus is in there somewhere as well. Uh, maybe it was a map thing, but in the day, it doesn't matter. So, uh, Naomi Shimakawa mentioned, well, Google Translate, so it's not going to be 100% accurate. My Japanese isn't good enough to read full text like this yet, so uh, I apologise in advance, but thank you for your patience. Uh, he mentioned rebooting our past works, especially Gal Games, which is Bishojo Games, as something he would like to challenge with the new system. And new system, I'm guessing, is now they're under Crest. They'll probably get more resources to do so. Specifically, he says... If we can reboot works such as Two Heart, Comic Party, and White Album at a low price in a modern style, there is a possibility that they will become new hits. Which I kind of agree. I think Hikes know how in indie games will lead to the development of young developers. When there is talk of remaking Two Heart Free, if young people grow up, we can create a team with young main players and several veterans in the lead in order for young people to play Romance ADV. In other words, visual novels, they don't really use the term visual novels much in Japan, just ADV. We need to properly incorporate the youth depicted by young creators. So basically, we want to make something closer to modern era, basically, because generations change. The last two Heart game came out in 2004, so almost 20 years ago, just to put it in context. And that's not including the Another Day's fan disc or 
Dungeon Travelers or anything else they made, including the Patchy Slot game, which I kind of want to check out someday. Anyway, uh, on the other hand, Mitotaka Mikami of both Hike and Act Plus, so a different person, not Shimokawa, said, We would like to support the field that Mr. Shimokawa and others are not good at, and we would like to expand globally. So, that's uh, very good news. Uh, we have created a new organization by making the marketing team independent within the company, and we would like to develop content and IP that will not betray Act Plus fans. So, yeah, um, good news. This is what I've been wanting to do for a long time, and if it means being acquired by Crest, which uh, isn't as bad as, say, Microsoft being buying Activision or something ridiculously fucking ludicrous like that for 69 billion fucking dollars, this is better. I hope that if they do this, though, this includes localizing their legacy IPs because that's something I've wanted for a long time. It's something that there is demand for in the VN community because if you, like, putting aside those that only know the company for Utaware and the games that were localized from Atlas, Aqua Plus have a very large footprint in the world of VNs. They basically coined the term vision novel and pegged the style as today, which is history that is for another time, but... We don't have really have these games in the West, and aside from a few fan translations, including White Album 2, you can't play any of them officially in the West. So I would like to see them, as well as making these newer games, which sound like they might be lower priced, like close to budget titles, which, um, as long as it maintains the same quality, I don't mind. But, like, have it there, and have a, like, bring the older games too, bring them physically in English as well to Switch, because you have never really supported Switch, and VNs at this point... The best place for them at the moment outside of PC is the Switch. Or maybe even the Switch's successor. So I'd like to see that. I've talked about it before. But, you know, I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to talk about it. So, you know, I'm going to give time to see what happens. And the fact that they're thinking about it and they're talking about it publicly in Famitsu means they're probably going to go ahead with it. And it's basically, we're planning to do it, but we just need to work out the finer details. And it's like, that's good. And at the moment, this isn't in my script, but something else I noticed in the last couple of weeks is they have opened a lot of new recruitment positions on their website. So if you're in Japan or can get to Japan and can speak fluent Japanese, you might be able to actually work for them. And now they will consider remote working arrangements. So uh, good to see that their workplace is a bit more accessible, although understandably they won't want to do working commute. And also they had a scenario writer position going for the Utah Runner series. So... Some lucky person in Japan who doesn't say need any professional experience, which is a very good thing, by the way. And now, like, hey, come write for the Utawara series, which, um, yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, good luck to whoever gets that. It'll be interesting to see what happens. So, you know, um, yeah, I won't turn down opportunities to talk about this company because I love their games. So, you know, but yeah, outside of like Otome, it's probably the only company I love a lot that, you know, that just like, truly passionate, but, you know, Anyway, I'm going to uh, move on, because I've been at that for a while, and there's still loads of other VN stuff to get through. Uh, next one is a Tokyo Necro, that's a Nitro Plus VN. Uh, basically, a hybrid of sci-fi, cyberpunk, and zombies. An action um, world written by Fukami Makoto, who did Psychopaths. Probably some other things as well. Um, it was meant to come out last year, late last year, but didn't and I was like we've got further things to do but they did put the pages up and you can wishlist it on Steam and it's on GOG and Jast and they're doing a physical edition physical edition has got some nice goods but it's R18 so you can't get it 
but they are selling the plush separately, which I think is a really good thing to do because if you're going to buy Visual Merc for PC, usually it's basically limited physical edition with a physical disc that's basically a pornography paperweight because they won't do all ages physicals, which I kind of get because the physical PC games are extremely niche and you have to be the most hardcore of the hardcore to want them. And I kind of get that, even though it's still kind of gross. So, you know, the fact they're selling a plush separately that you don't have to worry about that for is a really good thing as far as I'm concerned. And I hope they do more of this. You can wish it on Steam. I've wishlisted it. Um, I'm glad to see it. And uh, speaking of Steam pages as well, another uh, visual localization that's gone up is uh, the Crimson Flav Divides Lunar Coupling coming out later this month at Tommy Game. I've talked about it on it before. The demo is now available for Switch. I've not played it yet, so a little spoiler for later in the podcast. So uh, I can't talk about that because I've not played it. But from what I have heard, it's got some grammar issues, which, uh, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of that. There's, if you go on the eShop or even a Steam page, it's basically, hmm, there's one typo there. And you can kind of see that in a grammar formatting thing. And it's like, yeah, I'm not really going to... I'm not really going to entertain that until it's cheaper or until a fan patch fixes it on Steam because there will be fan patches most likely because if you're going to do a bad translation expect people to come clean up your TL basically. But that aside, it's coming out, well, English, Japanese and simplified and traditional Chinese this month for Switch and later in 2023 for Steam. So in other words, they'll be porting the game still. And um, I think as a game looks interesting, it does look really cool, and I'm glad to see more Otomi games with R18 roots are getting localised, because usually it's just, that doesn't happen. And they are becoming a really rare breed nowadays in terms of new games being made, which um, kind of sucks, really. But, you know, at least we're still getting Otomi over here, and it's really cool to see that. Another thing, uh, the quintessential Queen Tuplets FF, that's meant to be some kind of symbol... Some memories also came in five, or also come in five. This is a visual by Mages has now has a fan translation for Switch and an added PC port that's not official, which is interesting. It's an adaptation of a manga, Go Tuba no Hanayomi by Haruba Negi. Apologies. I don't know if this is uh, the manga's come to the West, but it's nice to see a uh, fan translation. For a vision novel on Switch also arrive so soon because there aren't too many finished projects yet that aren't translation ports, which is really cool. Uh, I'll leave a link to this in the description if you want to check it out yourself. Uh, and finally, the big one, which I'm going to talk about here and most likely adding the Otomati stuff after this, and it's going to sound awkward now, but who cares? Um, the Chaos Head Noah overhaul patch by Committee of Zero came out uh, on the 3rd, which is really cool. Um, it actually led to the active players on Steam literally doubling since launch. It's like, yeah, people were clearly waiting for this patch to come out. So it's really good to see um, this patch has a lot more content than, well, a lot more stuff that Major should have done officially. So I'm not going to dwell on that, even though some people were like, oh, it's fine. But like, yeah, but you're not getting the full experience and like get to wait two months for them to fix a bloody bug on the Switch version where... Literally three lines from the true ending, you couldn't get it and it basically crashed or something. Something like that. Where you couldn't actually beat the game and like, oh, aside from that, it was fine. Well, no, it's not. But this version includes a full retranslation. It was basically like, the official translation is so bad and unfaithful to the original work. We have to replace it. 
And even they said in their statement, like, we support the translators. Majors didn't give them the proper working conditions to actually translate the game properly with the respect it deserves. So, you know, I think it's good that they exp explicitly showed support to the translators in this. And it's like, best thing we do is replace it. So I respect that because it can be seen as an insult. But in circumstances like this, I understand. Other things they did was uh, they retranslated. Um, no, they did full translations of the images and songs in the game with like and lyric stuff, over 150 stuff, which I think is really cool because, again, this is something Major should have done. Uh, other technical fixes, restoring censored content and prior Japanese releases because when the game was ported from the 360 and PC to the PSP, they did censor some things and apparently one of the things was critical to understanding the story or something along those lines where basically having it censored kind of took away from the central theme of the work so they've restored all that content, which I find is pretty interesting. Because bear in mind, this game is quite dark and bloody because, well, it is, well, murder mystery. And I can't, it kind of makes sense because Sarah in Japan is like, the nutshell to understand is in the West, there tends to be more like fear toward, not fear, but like, there tends to be more crackdowns on sexualized content in games and media, which honestly, considering some of the content, especially in these Japanese like adult games, it's perfectly understandable. And I support it in a lot of cases. With uh, violence, it's the other way around. So in Japan, they tend to clamp down violence. So if you get a Japanese physical version of a game, the violence is often toned down. So people in Japan often import Western physicals that don't have this issue. And it's similar with the Middle East as well. Well, for both, but you know, there's that. So I kind of get why they tone that down. But yeah, still, it's good to see it becoming an ultimate version. And it works with all official PC releases as well as the Steam Deck and hacked switches. So you need to have a hacked switch on custom firmware to play the patch, which makes sense because it's not going to be offered legitimately. Uh, but you can get any region copy of the game in US, EU and Japan, and also in English and Japanese. So that's really cool. Uh, I'm going to be playing this at some point. I'll probably end up getting it on sale next time it goes on Steam because I don't really want to... I don't really want to buy the physical cart for this. I want to, but I also don't because it's like... There's no point because you buy a cart and you get a version that you can't fucking finish unless you patch it. Which is fucking ludicrous. Even with the other stuff, you've got to have it back in. But, you know, yeah, I'm probably not going to get it because it's just like... It's just an inferior experience, basically. And it's kind of pointless. Anyway, now, here is the awkward cut where I talk about dessert to Otomate. Three, two... And now this is the uh, awkwardly cut uh, desert automate portion, which I'm adding in. So what happened here? Um, basically, just before I was about to record today, I found out that the desert automate event was on. And this was actually being live streamed in Japan. You had to buy a ticket, but it was open to people for abroad. So if you lived outside Japan, you could buy a ticket and you could access a stream, which uh, I didn't know about, but I might look into doing the next one. So, you know. That's going to be interesting. So anyway, um, I'm going to cover all the announcements. Many of these will be Japan exclusive, as in they will never come to the West, but there are others that might come to the West in the future. So just bear in mind, all of this is for Japan, but seeing as Otomate are the most pro-localization Otome game label there is, there's a pretty big chance we will see most of these in the West. So starting with, um, just heads up, these are also not in order, and there's a reason why for that. Starting off with um, Colorex Malice Switch is getting a re-release, a special box, 
uh, 13th of July this year. It's coming out in Japan. It's going to have the physical software. And bear in mind that Color X Malice for Nintendo Switch includes the base game and the fan disc. We got them separately in the West. So they're bundled together in Japan on one cart. And on this is going to be a, a new like visual book with a story in it. As well as reprints of all four drama CDs that were released for... Corex Malice and Unlimited separately, which is uh, pretty cool to see that. And it's got a nice illustration as well with the original illustrator, so that's cool. Next one was uh, Alice in Spades, Wonderful Black World. So this is the latest game in the Alice in the Wonderful World series. It was originally by Quinn Rose before Otomate acquired the brand or something like that. Um, it's a series that we've never had any of the games localised at all. It goes back a surprising distance, actually. Um, in the past, there was a PC game in the series that did get a fan translation, which I've not played, so I can't comment on the quality of it, but that's out there, and that's how I know about it. Um, it's coming out on the August the 3rd this year, with um, regular, limited, and uh, premium automate box release, and uh, voice actors revealed as well, which uh, I'm not going over Seiyu's, because one, um, I, don't, I can't read the kanji, and two, uh, I'm not as interested, to be honest. Um, there are very few names recognised, one of them being Ken, not for this game, but because, well, it's written in English. Uh, next one was more info on uh, My Nine Swallows Top Stars League, and this is the collaboration between Otomate and, uh, well, Nine Nine Swallows, the Tokyo team. You've even got the cute penguin is, uh, in the trailer, which is cool. Introduce the characters, and then they were like, oh, these aren't just baseball stars, they're also idols. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. I um, was kind of disappointed, to be honest, initially seeing that, because it's like, yeah, I also just kind of feels like you're going from this original cool idea of a baseball setting, but now you're adding an idol element into it. And I'm like, uh, is this really needed? Or is it, it's like, I mean, I just would have preferred to see it fully set in the world of baseball without that kind of thing, but I'm not as interested now. I'm still going to keep an eye on it. I hope it's handled well, and I might be able to overlook it in time, uh, the art looks nice, and the idol outfits, to be fair, they look pretty good, and um, the trailers are cool, uh, yeah, you can get all these trailers on the Otomate channel, by the way, I've watched them before this, um, something else of note to me is I saw that, and there's like nine guys, but one of them is not white, like, there's like eight white guys, and then there's another guy who's, well, not white, so I thought that was interesting, because you don't tend to see that in games, especially visual novels from Japan, so I thought that was worth highlighting. So yeah, it's really good. Um, next one, uh, Nine Rip. There was another like trailer with the character portraits and voice actors for 2023 in Japan. Uh, that was cool. Uh, it looks great. I think it's got a lot of potential. So I'm hoping that that reception for that's well received well. Uh, next up, uh, some Hakuoki news. Because when it comes to Otomate, you can't have Otomate without Hakuoki. Um, first thing they announced was actually a port of uh, Sweet School Life. This is a title that was released for the PS Vita back in 2014. It was one of the first Otomati exclusives for the Vita. And it, interesting about this title is it's basically Hakuoki in a high school setting. And it's actually one of the only visual novels to be fully fan translated on the Vita. So for a couple of years now, you could actually play Hakuoki SSL in English with a patch. So technically you can already play this one in English like one of the other Alice in Spades games. So 
that's interesting. Maybe the translation from that will get ported to this Switch release when it comes out later this year. Um, and maybe we'll even get an official release because Axes a while ago were like, oh, we were trying to localize it, but they're having issues. And it was probably, well, that it was Hakuoki and Idea Factory wanted to do Hakuoki themselves, but that's just speculation. Either way, it's interesting because now it's got a chance to be localized again, which if Hakuoki does ever come back to the West, it might get picked up. The other thing is they announced a new title, and from what I could tell, it was basically some kind of spin-off story that was unused from Hakuuki Suizo Roku. I don't know if that's... I don't know what game that is, but I think it's an unlocalized game. So it's basically a story arc from an unlocalized fan disc, if that makes sense. So not going into detail there. In fact, you'd be surprised how many Hakuoki fan discs there are. Like, there's a base game, which is Hakuoki, which we've gotten loads of iterations of including Code of Winds and Edo Blossoms. That's the definitive version of this one story. We've never had any of the fan discs localized. So now now it's like, oh, Idea Factory now putting out actual new Hakuoki games on Switch in Japan, and we've not got any of them. But that's why I think eventually we're going to start getting Hakuoki games, because they've given that IP a long-needed break in the West instead of releasing the same game. Now there's new stuff, and the time, I think, is right to start bringing the series back over here. So... I think we'll see Hakuoki and maybe some of these spin-offs and maybe this new one too, potentially, but speculation again. Uh, they also announced that Alter Gear is not dead. It's getting a fourth game. No real info on it, aside from thinking it was the writer and stuff, which I didn't know the name of because, again, the trailer's all in Japanese. Uh, oh, there was one thing, actually. Um, according to the Twitter, which I use Google Translate on, their teaser line was, What lies there is a colourful, quote-unquote, memory and truth... Okay, hang on. I also I did actually copy paste the translation here on a dickhead and didn't see. Original drawing Tata. I think Tata's done other games. Scenario Makoto Fukami, director Asami Sato for the Switch. Yeah, all of these are for the Switch, by the way. No phone games, no PC. And finally, the last two, which will be most interesting to people. Um, Radiant Tail got a fan disc announcement. It's subtitled Fanfare. Um, I don't think there's much info on this yet. It's literally just got announced in the thing today. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, Radiant Tail, um, the base game, which is before this fan disc, got released like under a year ago. So it's already got a fan disc announcement. And in the West, it's dated for later this year. I think it might slip into 2024, but it's been confirmed for the West that we're going to be getting Radiant Tail. So if that does well, we we'll, might get the fan disc as well, which, um, yeah. What's interesting about Radiant Tail is it's basically like a circus setting with no bad endings. So, yeah, definitely on my radar. And the final thing, which I want to talk about, and I want to do it last because it's cute, and that's uh, more info on the Cupid Parasite fan disc. Uh, Cupid Parrot, sweet and spicy darling. Um, they basically had a trailer, started to show some information, and the key ones were new locations, including an island, this gorgeous CD of Lynette lying down. It looked really cute. She looks so cute. Uh, the addition of the Destiny Parasite roots, so now it's technically the Parasite um, 7, because there was a sick route in Cupid Parasite, which is a, a secret route, which is a spoiler, so I'm not going to talk about that route, but there's a 7th character that's going to be the route in this fan disc, which is a Melanis Levin, um, I don't believe this person appeared in the original, I know there's some fan theories as to who this person is, but I'm not going to... Uh, uh, go into that at the moment because it also leads into spoilers for the game 
Uh, also said they confirmed that the Biscats, who did the OP and ED for Cupid Parasite, uh, are doing it here as well. And it's been dated for 2023 in Japan. And uh, I'll be frank when I say this, um, if this isn't announced for the West, I will import this one, actually, because I want to practice my Japanese with this. And uh, Mark Bielka is a good motivator, because Cupid Parasite is amazing. And it's actually on Switch. Um, I do the same for White Album 2 if that came to Switch, and... Oh, fucking hell, you've brought up White Album 2 again in this episode. And you've literally, like, recorded the rest of it. Oh, whatever. You know me. I mean, if you listen to me, you know that I ramble with stuff. But, you know, Otomate is, uh, yeah. Uh, also, next time there's a Desert Otomate or other Otomate events, I will try to tune into it live, because that's going to be fun. In terms of games here, I'd like to see in the West. Um, Sweet and Spicy Darling, obviously. Uh, Nine Rip is also one I want to see. Uh, my nine swallows I'm interested in, um, potentially, and potentially the fan disc or radiant tail as well. Everything else I'm kind of indifferent towards. And the case of the Corex Manus, it's just a re-release, so we've got those in English already. So yeah, um, pretty nice batch here. Now on to what I've been playing. Um, first off, uh, I mentioned Persona 4 Golden briefly at the beginning. Uh, I have clocked over 60 hours on it now, and I am still not done with it. Uh, I am literally about to start the golden exclusive Hollow Forest dungeon within the game, so I've been at it for a very long time, and yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm taking a temporary break from it because 60 hours is a lot to spend, and I usually take breaks, usually after far less nowadays when I play a game for so long, so the fact that I managed to stick at it for 60 hours without virtually a break is really good, but I need one. Um, definitely got a lot to talk about for retrospective video. I'm still going to try to work on the retrospective video when I'm not playing the game, but you know, TBA on that. So I was dabbling to color the game. So I'm going to touch on the same game we're playing, which I have um, shown like video footage of on Twitter. Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants: The Cosmic Shake. So this is the new SpongeBob game that THQ Nordic published the other day. Uh, developed by Purple Lamp, who also did the remake for Rehydrated, so Battle of Bikini Bottom, that classic platformer. Um, basically what this is, is basically, let's do a semi-partial retread of Battle of Bikini Bottom's areas from the franchise, but uh, give them a really unique Wish World-esque twist, and make it a lot more dynamic in terms of its atmosphere, but also make it more linear and focus its objectives, but also provide some replay value. And lots of fan references, which is really good. I love it a lot. Um, there's lots of references to the show, especially the first few seasons. So someone like me who hasn't watched any SpongeBob content for a very long time. In terms of new stuff, because the first three seasons in the movie are the best. A couple of seasons after that are, are good. But then after that, it's just... It kind of fell off because a lot of the original writers left. And the series was still going. And, well, apparently it's not as good. And, um... It was only like the last couple of seasons that actually have gotten better because original writers were brought back. So, make it what you will. So, even someone like me was able to make the most out of this and see the references to the first few seasons, which is really cool. And I loved it because it just felt like a modern sequel to Battle for Bikini Bottom, made by fans, for fans. If you like platformers, you might enjoy this, especially if you love Spongebob. And unfortunately, I have to have some negatives because I've put the game down. And this is because, well, it's buggy. Um, the Switch version obviously is the least technologically powerful of the consoles, especially if you're playing in handheld. 
Um, obviously the limitations of the switch are showing not as much in this release compared to others but it is kind of visible sometimes like there's occasional like frame rate stop sometimes and just other things like that that you, you can still play the game fine but it's just kind of like you can just tell it's there and unfortunately I got hit with two major bugs um, the first one was for some reason the autosave stopped working at some point in the first world which was Wild West Jellyfish Fields um, so I basically couldn't save. I could delete saves, but I couldn't actually save. I just press A, it just wasn't working. I don't know why this is. So that's something that needs to get patched out. Uh, the second thing was a really weird bug where I was at the end of the prehistoric kelp forest world, which is about the fifth world in the game, so quite far in. And what happened was I defeated the boss for that world just as I somehow took damage. I think from another one of the enemies because there's these purple gel enemies that appear in the field and I think one of them somehow took hit a hit to me when I was literally doing the final hit to the boss because the boss is on a platform and there's like three bones underneath holding the platform up above the lava that you've got to like hit for that to well apply basically and the boss to be defeated and it weird happened it happened at the same time so basically what happened was the game triggered event flags as if the boss was defeated, but I was stuck in this loop. I was spawning and respawning, and so I could see the boss and the person being rescued in the background, but I was still spawning and respawning, so I had to exit out of that. So I exited to another area. The only way I could do it without exiting the game, then came back, and when I came back to the area, um, it was... You saw the portal that goes back to Bikini Bottoms, but the, the boss characters were gone. So I went through the portal, and I came back, and the the cutscene trigger flags that would unlock the next portal for the sick world didn't appear. And neither has the person been rescued, their home isn't back to normal. So it basically meant I was basically softlocked, and I can't finish the game. So I've had to basically abandon my playthrough and I'm going to wait for the patches to come out and sort that out. I'm definitely going to replay the game in the future, but probably not on the Switch because, well, aside from those issues, the technical issues that were there, while not game-breaking, are kind of like, if I'm going to play a game that's a bit more bugged, I'd rather just get it on another console for cheap. And to be fair, um, on Black Friday this year and other years, it'll probably go down in price by then anyway, so... I'm not fast. I, I'm. It says a lot about the game, but I'm willing to restart a game that I got bugged by. And, well, it's good on the game, but yeah, it's still annoying. And I'll be frank, it is annoying. So, yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. But, you know, still a good game. I don't think I can put it up for a top, like, my absolute game of the year now because of the bugs. But, you know, it is what it is. And now onto the final game. Uh, I started this actually last night, actually. Uh, Feet Rhythm Dragon Quest. I wanted to try something off my 3DS backlog that's not an RPG or something heavy, and I chose that because, well, I want to play through more classic Square Enix games, and Feet Rhythm and Dragon Quest are classics. And my thoughts on it? Well, it's a rhythm game for Dragon Quest. It's basically Feet Rhythm, but instead of Final Fantasy and now other Square Enix IPs, it's Dragon Quest. Um, tried out ahead of Final Bar Line coming out because it was a demo, but. I'm not too interested in that, because mainly because I've not played many of the games that are appearing in that. So, I already own Feet Rhythm as well. It's really cheap in Japan, so you can still pick it up yourself. 
Um, it's really fun, easy to play. You don't need to know Japanese to play it, so you can play it without knowing Japanese. It's just the barrier to entry to getting a physical of the game is a quite a lot. And the console to play it on, unless you hack it, of course, because if you hack, the region lock's automatically removed. So, yeah, in this game, you can play the first, like, songs from the first 11 Dragon Quest games. So, no, 1 to 10. So, no, only not Dragon Quest 11, because this came out before Dragon Quest 11. So, 1 to 10, like, three, like, yeah, three songs from each game and a couple of uh, battle themes, which about five per game and a couple more for some of the earlier games so it's interesting and it's all like orchestrated music most likely for the um the arranged versions that Koichi Sugiyama did because yes this game was made back when he was alive and spreading harm so it felt kind of weird playing it and it kind of felt easier to kind of enjoy it because you know he's dead and you know that a lot of them like we don't really know what is going on with the money he gets from Dragon Quest now so whether that music go that, that music royalties go towards that, we don't know. And considering that it's what he's done is harmful, like the whole funding like material for war crimes denial and being anti LGBT, like we we have a arguably a public interest to know what it's being spent on, but it's unlikely we'll get that knowledge confirmed. But it kinda of felt easy to enjoy it now knowing that he can't actively spread harm himself anymore now that he's died. So, it also felt weird because seeing the remixes, like, well, mate, this is why we didn't get the game over here, because Sugiyama would have probably wanted a fucking fortune for it, for the rights to the music, because for those who don't know, he owns the rights to most of the Dragon Quest music because he composed it. It's been that way since the very first game, back on the NES. So, that's basically one reason we never got it in the West. Also, when it came to games we did get, like 7 and 8... The orchestral music that he did for the games were cut out and replaced with a synthesized version, which uh, is still good music, because he is objectively a good composer. That's not something I'm going to dispute, but it just wasn't as good because it wasn't orchestrated. And you kind of hear that in this game because some of the songs that appear here, like the Dragon Quest VIII Overture theme, or no, the Overworld theme, like that would have been cut out of the 3DS release, and but in the Japanese one, so... Yeah, it kind of was weird to have that, but in the day I'm still having fun of it, and it's kind of a nice taste of feet rhythm. It does also make me wonder what would a feet rhythm Dragon Quest curtain call look like, because I think one day that will happen. Maybe after twelve comes out, so get music from eleven and twelve in there. Get more music from the previous games, because only three field themes and two battle themes, not really enough to talk about. Maybe even. Three boss themes some places. So get some more, at least one more theme from each of the older games and have that there. Get some spin-off stuff like Slime Mori Mori, Monsters, because all of the spin-offs they have some level of original music. But even though they do like like a lot of Dragon Quest games reuse themes from previous games. So you know, which is fine. But having some more original music from the spin-offs would be great. And that's kind of why I'm not wanting Dragon Quest music to appear in final bar line probably because it won't happen anyway but you know i think a curtain call game be a lot better once 12 is out whenever that is probably next year i think that's just speculation on my part though so oh i forgot to mention there's also chiptune variants of the older games you can do like when you get to unlock for when you've basically done all the music for one game and done the final boss themes yep because they do have those as a rhythm song 
you unlock like videos, synthesized versions. You actually see retro gameplay from the older games appear on your 3DS screen, which I think is really cool. And chiptune. Kind of makes you feel sleepy, but it's chiptune music. And it's kind of cool seeing that and all the Japanese logos and stuff. I think that's really cool. Anyway, I'm going to stop for today because I've gone on for way too long and I still need to talk about the Otomate stuff, which is going to be slot somewhere in the middle because uh, hashtag awkward. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the podcast, like, comment, subscribe, five-star reviews, etc. and so forth. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.